Hey, are you hiring? If you answered yes, let Zentegra Staffing help staff your IT people needs. Head over to Zentegra.com forward slash Zentegra Staffing to find out more. Zentegra Staffing, we can staff your IT people needs. Welcome to another edition of the Citrix Session with your hosts, Andy Whiteside and Bill Sutton, your source for all things Citrix. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 47 of the Citrix Session podcast. I'm your host, Andy Whiteside. I've got uh, Bill Sutton with me, Bill, Director of Services here at Zintegra. Bill, how's it going? Going well, Andy. Very well. How about you? I'm good. Uh, did you survive the, uh, the the hurricane over the weekend? Did you guys get much impact from that? Uh, we got a, a good bit of rain, but uh, it's still kind of overcast and drizzling right now on a Monday. But um, wasn't wasn't as bad as the last one that came through, which just deluged us. So yeah. good for the grass. I just had it aerated and seeded. So uh, really good for the grass. Well, good. Yeah, that's that's the thing about the falls here in the southeast. We get uh, plenty of hurricanes that have lost a lot of their punch by the time they get here but a lot of rain sometimes too much but uh yeah fills up the reservoirs that's right there's a there's a reason why this place is so green and we're not so we tropical we're not tropical we're subtropical here in the southeast is that what's called probably yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, i was uh talking to my son last night i was trying to i couldn't remember the climates i need to go back to elementary school it's amazing what you learn along the way that you forget um yeah uh, you think would just be common knowledge, and at some point you get you just forget. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's that's one absolutely. thing about kids when in school is uh, sometimes you have, you end up relearning that stuff. Yeah, you know, I've, I've had some aha moments with my kids. You know. Yeah, and it actually hits this time. It makes sense. Oh, that's why we learned it that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, you know what? That leads actually into this conversation really well. We're going to do something different today. It's something I love to do. Uh, and we are going to stop and learn how Citrix communicates. Uh, and we're going to do that using a CTX article. So instead of a blog, we're going to look at a CTX article because, you know, I I feel certain that if you stopped and asked me um, how the ICA and the authentication uh, traffic flow happens uh, depending on the scenario and it's changed, it changes depending on the scenario. I bet I would get pieces of it wrong. Uh, and so what we're going to do today is we're going to go, we're going to go really kind of geeky on the Citrix side of things. And we're going to review this article. It's uh, CTX 236889. It's called uh, Application and Desktop Launch Process for Internal Network. Uh, and what that means, it means using the Citrix Workspace app or what used to be called Receiver and talking to a storefront server and enabled environment. And we're going to go through what happens and, and how it happens and maybe some some uh, tidbits along the way as to what uh, we think people should know that, that maybe they don't know uh, as we go through it. Yeah, I, I've, re- I've looked through this, of course, in advance of our advance of this podcast. I actually had to address this with a customer maybe two weeks ago. Um and there's some things in here that I didn't mention mention that I don't know that are absolutely critical, but nevertheless, uh, it's amazing what going back and reviewing some of this stuff uh, will do for you in terms of making sure you get it right. And the thing is, this one's fairly up to date. This is uh, July of this year when it was last updated, and and things change, right? And so what oh, yeah. you do, and back in you know 
2003 and P agent and, and how he communicated with a web interface server or Infuse, all that good stuff, right? That, that, that changes and evolves um, and depends on you know, what the scenario is a little bit. This pretty much right. works on all the different devices. But yeah, I hope people appreciate this, uh, especially those that are listening to this podcast for the, the more technical side of life. So uh, the, the stated objective is to understand the process flow to, to help understand and troubleshoot the scenario. And, and I'm going to add a bit to that. That is, this is under the assumption that this is an internal network using Citrix non-cloud. So not CBAD service, but what we would call CBAD uh, on-prem these days still. Uh, maybe we'll do this again uh, in the coming weeks and talk about how this would flow depending on various different configurations using the service. Uh, but this is specifically for the workspace app, uh, also called receiver. And in fact, I think they even call it receiver in this document <clears throat> and how it uh, communicates with the internal Citrix environment. And by internal, I mean something that's on your, your private network. It could be your WAN. It doesn't have to be the LAN, but something on your internal LAN, WAN, private network. <laughs> So, Bill, before we jump in, any uh, any pieces you want to add to, to what we're covering here? No, no. I, I, you hit it right on the head. I think, um, yeah, this is obviously we're not involving necessarily involving any sort of Citrix gateway or anything here. This is strictly internal hitting storefront. Yep. So here's the uh, the steps, right? The first uh, section of the what it's calling instructions is the original conversation around authentication. So what the article points out, it's got a really nice drawing that has a number one, a number two, a number three, uh, four, five, and six. But number one, the workspace app is launched and it reaches out to contact the storefront server on uh, port 80 or port 443. Of course, 443 is HTTPS. You want to stop there and just point out the first obvious thing that needs to happen? Yeah, it should be 443. You want to make sure you're securing the uh, the connectivity between the endpoint um, workspace app and your your storefront server, since the user is going to have to likely enter credentials there. Um, you know, it's a best practice to secure that on 443 uh, so that they can't be uh, it can't be intercepted. And if you did uh, ten of our freeze Integra assessments, how many times would you find it being over eighty? Uh, <laughs> too many, too many, right? Too many, yeah. At least half, probably more than that. Probably in the sixty to seventy percent range would be my our typical um, finding. And it used to be that by default, Citrix made it eighty, and I think yep. now you can still do it. But by default, it, it at least warns you that it's on eighty. So that it really does. Yeah, if you if you go to configure your uh, controller in storefront and you set it on HTTP, it will it'll put a little uh, yield symbol or a little flag up there that says this is not secure. So they're they're definitely trying to steer you in the right direction there. Yeah, we used to have a competitor here in the Carolinas. Their top consultant would go around. He would always implement port eighty, and I would just come in behind him and point out the obvious problem with that, and uh, it would give me a little bit of a foundation to try to win over a client in that scenario. Yeah, such a simple thing, but critical. All right, step two says the storefront <clears throat> presents an authentication page. Well, all of a sudden the lines just got murky because that's not actually, I don't know if that's actually true in the case of the workspace app. That would be in the case where you reached out to a web page on the storefront server. Uh, but I think in the case of this, the, uh, the app itself generates the login um, UI and is prepared to pass that along. So already we found an anomaly in what they've got here, which isn't accurate because in this case, we're reaching out via the app 
in this article, not via a web browser, uh, which is very common in the Citrus world. Uh, but so, so in theory, uh, number two that they have here is, is wrong in my opinion. It's actually the workspace app that, that generates the username login boxes. Yeah, the storefront server would, would basically instruct the uh, workspace app to present an authentication dialog box. So storefront is that technically not presenting a page uh, as if a user were going to a web browser. You're absolutely right. I noticed that as well. And then uh, number three, in this case, the it doesn't say this. I'm going to put the words into the article. It says uh, user submits credentials. So the user inputs their credentials into the workspace app, hits enter, and then the workspace app submits the credentials to the storefront again over HTTPS. Um, and uh, the storefront um, takes that information. And then step four, uh, the storefront reaches out via Kerberos um, using TC port, TCP port 88. Uh, to authenticate um, to the Active Directory server that's in place, right? Exactly, yep. Uh, the Active Directory returns in its normal Kerberos way uh, to the storefront, uh, the reality of that username password attempt, and the user will then be presented, um, well, the user will then be told from the storefront that he has successfully or unsuccessfully authenticated, uh, if successful, the um the next step happens if unsuccessful, uh, the user is challenged to try again, right? Exactly, yep. Question for you, when that happens, since it's the storefront reaching out to the Active Directory, if you have a, um, uh, a lockout policy set to lock out the user after X number of bad attempts, will that apply? Yes. And then of course, all your uh, password, um, you know, credential policies of complexity and things like that, those are all still in play too, right? They're still in place, and if you have um, if you have the uh, the password change feature turned on on storefront, which we would generally recommend, then and your password is set to change or has expired, then it will prompt you to change it there, and all that communication happens via Kerberos. So now let's uh, let's talk about the uh, example we ran into earlier this year, where we were using um, iGel, which is a Ubuntu Linux, and yeah. there. Um, Kerberos implementation uh, was um, a certain uh, iteration of it, and the uh, the user was challenged to uh, reset their password or use complex password. I think it was password complexity requirements. Yeah, and uh, the storefront would respond back to the uh, the iGel unit, aka Linux, uh, and it would not know what to do with it. So it would just say, "Go ahead, you know, enter whatever complexity you want." or reuse a previous password. So, you know, while it seems like this is very Citrix-centric, there's a lot of underlying pieces like Kerberos that come into play, right? That's right, yeah, especially around authentication. Um, you know, Kerberos is a pretty complex um, beast. Um, it's highly secure, and, and uh, there's a lot of ticket exchange and token exchange that occurs there. So mm-hmm. um, it's, it's pretty complex, and lots can go wrong um, if it's not configured correctly. Yeah, so let's take a let's take a walk down memory road. For me, I used to uh, do uh, Active Directory support at Microsoft uh, twenty years ago. Uh, man, hard to even say that, but almost twenty years ago. Uh, and and the way Kerberos finally made sense to me was um, was in the case of going to a nightclub. So my social security card and my uh, passport issued by the federal government allowed me to go. To, um, to my driver's license office and get a state ID. So that was my, my ticket granting ticket system. 
And then I could go present that state issued ID to a bouncer at a nightclub and get into a nightclub and you know, enjoy myself at the nightclub. That was a ticket granting uh, system that um, was derived from the federal government's ID system that allowed me to go get a, you know, a stamp on my hand so that mm-hmm. I could uh, spend 24 hours, only 24 hours uh, at a nightclub. That's, that's how Kerberos works. Yeah. That's a, that's an interesting analogy. Well, it's the one that made sense to me. Still does, yep. but at the time, made a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I could relate uh, every Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. <laughs> All right. So uh, now that we've authenticated our user, the next section here is called resource enumeration. This is this where it gets more interesting. So the idea here is uh, we want to retrieve the applications and desktops, uh, which you know in the world of Citrix these days goes beyond. Um, just uh, Windows uh, 32 desktops and Win32 apps uh, also include SaaS apps, which you know, that generates a whole lot of other conversation. But for the sake of this conversation, we'll stick to published apps, published desktops, VDI apps, VDI desktops, which one of these days we're going to do a podcast on VDI apps, client-hosted apps, to make sure people know what that's all about because it's really cool. Um, but uh, so just to walk through the steps here, it's got, uh, so I'll just read it. After all, after successful authentication, storefront passes user credentials to the delivery controller uh, on behalf of the user over port 80 or 443. Uh, again, we'll stop and point out that it should always be 443, but uh, not totally uncommon for it not to be. Uh, and uh, let's see, let me finish reading it. Uh, for the list of applications, uh, the delivery controller uh, responds back or talk, talks, uh, contacts AD over LDAP. Uh, port TCP 389 to identify the user's identity and group memberships. Uh, the controller contacts the site database. So we're talking about the uh, the Zenapps and desktop CVAD site database, which is going to be stored on a SQL server somewhere, uh, either SQL, full-blown SQL or SQL Express. Uh, contacts that information, finds the metadata associated with that uh, username or group the user's a member of. Uh, and then the delivery core c- controller sends the information back to the storefront server, again, over 80 or 443, ideally 443. The storefront then presents that information directly to the workspace app uh, where the end user is communicating from. Now, a lot happens there, right? So a lot of chances of things to go wrong. Uh, that's why things take a little while to enumerate sometimes. Uh, but that's that's what's happening during that process uh, where the user finally sees icons on their screen. Any additional facts to add to that? Well, the, the only thing I would add is, is if you review that section, you'll note the delivery controller is involved a great deal in this process. So um, obviously you want to secure that. Uh, and of course you want it to be highly available because it's not just a management framework. It's also involved in the enumeration uh, of your resources via storefront. So this is probably a good time to point out that uh, in some small environments, they'll put the storefront services and the delivery control services on the same system. Correct. Which is fine up until a certain scale. But, you know, ideally, ideally you want those things separated. You want them on separate boxes. Oh, we haven't talked at all about uh, putting what, what should what should we put in front of all these things to make sure we're highly available? Oh, yeah, uh, of course. At ADC or Nets, what used to be called Netscaler. So some type of load balancer, ideally you yeah. use the, the yeah. Citrix one because you're in that world and a lot of people do, um, but some type of load balancing based off of uh, some type of persistence around cookies or something mm-hmm. so that the user is, is, has, has a high availability aspect of this piece, which is, un, which is similar to every other type of application load balancing where it's not built in. You need to put something smart in front of it. Exactly. Well, 
And since I said that, and that's a good time to probably add something smart means something that can do this type of query and get back a positive result and use that as the, the checksum of whether it's available or not, not just something that pings it, which, you know, if you did, if you did an assessment as integra free assessment, um, what percentage of the time you think you'd find some kind of very basic uh, load balancing uh, method in place? Oh, it's, it's pretty common. Um, you know, it, 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 customers, even customers that are using ADC, a lot of times the, the default monitor is just the TCP, um, the TCP monitor, the default TCP monitor, which is really nothing more than a SYNAC, the old uh, underlying uh, communication that TCP uses. Um, and what you really need to do is, whether it's a Netscaler or an ADC or, or some other ADC, uh, you want that intelligence. You want to be able to query that storefront server to make sure it responds the way it needs to to enumerate the resources. Um, and, you know, there's numbers of ways to do that, looking for, you know, a, an okay coming back from the web service, but even that's not probably not going to be enough. You need to go deeper. Ideally, you want to authenticate and make sure that it returns an okay from the authentication. That'll that'll tell you that the storefront service is running. Yeah, what was uh, XML black hole? That's the thing where we used to, we could talk to it. It would do a TCP handshake. It would do a ping. It would even do a, <clears throat> some type of session uh, state um, acceptability, but it right. would return garbage. Um, yeah, XML black hole. That's I've only, how, how many times did you run into that? Oh, all the time back in the day. Uh, you know, probably very frequently, let's put it that way. <clears throat> yeah, I can say I only ran into it once. and. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of fun when I ran into it because it's like, hey, finally, I get to see what everybody's been saying could possibly happen all yeah. these years. So a little bit of validation there, finally, after telling people for years that would happen. Yeah. All right. So as uh, listeners can tell, there's a lot that goes on already, and we haven't even attempted to launch an app yet. Uh, now we're going to do that. So the next section here is section three. is called resource, resource launch, and this is when the user actually um, clicky, clicky. That's what my Unix admins used to used to that's that's how they used to tell me i used to administer systems i used clicky clicky uh so user clicks uh on an icon or right clicks and hits uh hits open um and uh, let's see user clicks on the icon shown in the store um um so ports 80 and 443 reaches out to the storefront storefront contacts the delivery controller over 80 or 443 again let's use 443 if it's not my lab just in general uh, delivery controller reaches out uh, to a SQL server uh, to identify the most suitable VDA. So VDA would be the uh, virtual delivery agent. That's the host, right? That's the host yep. that is uh, least something. Uh, by default, it's least number of users, but uh, you can you can set up all kinds of policies within Citrix to um, base that on the amount of um, uh, on the amount of resources available. Uh, which is also another interesting conversation because there's been plenty of time and I've done it to myself twice where I've actually tried to get smart and, and, and become uh, more advanced on how I determined which, um, which VDA or which host should be used. And I've completely locked down entire environments, not knowing that uh, I put a bad policy in place. Right. All right. Um, so now that we've talked to the uh, SQL server, found out which was the most highly, most available at that moment, uh, VDA, the delivery controller contacts that VDA on port 80. Um, and the VDA returns a session key to the delivery controller. Uh, the delivery controller sends the session key um, that contains all the connection information to the storefront server. And the storefront server puts uh, all that connection information into a, and this is the fun part, a default.ica file. 
and sends the endpoints and sends it to the endpoint again over 80 or best or three. That ICA file thing, it's that's gold when you're trying to troubleshoot connection issues and you're trying to see, you know, where you're being directed over what ports, uh, how many times you had to pull that thing apart with with notepad or wordpad and figure out what was going on. Yeah, it's a little bit more difficult to do today, but it can still be done. I've had to pull it apart myself, um, you know, to see what IP it's it's putting in it and and other elements of it. So yeah, I've had to pull it apart uh, a few times. When you say it's more difficult today than it used to be, let's assume we're you know talking about a simple situation here where we're connecting over a private network. Um, is there something about it that it, it just it, you can't look at it the way you used to be able to? What's what's different today? It's just a little bit more difficult to get it because it uh, actually leverages uh, an HTTPS connection uh, in the browser itself. And then uh, you you've actually have to turn off the uh, file type association in order to see it. Uh, or, you know, how in Chrome, when you Chrome or uh, I think even uh, the new Edge, which is based on Chromium, um, when you launch it for the first time, it asks you whether you want to associate it. Uh, if you don't, then you'll see the ICA file. Otherwise, it just kind of flows all the way through. If you were to... Uh, try to right click on the page. You would, or right click on the icon in storefront. You would get a, um, you would get it basically just a web page as opposed to a uh, HTML code as opposed to the ICA file. Yeah, and, that, and I'm glad you said that because um, uh, that's a key piece of information, right? You got to go old school. You got to disassociate ICA files that don't automatically launch. You, you would have that moment where you can stop and get it long enough to to take a look at what's inside it. Um, that includes um, ideally. Uh, the host name, right? There, there was a point in time where it gave you by IP, and there was some challenges with that. These days, is it by host name, by default, or do you have to turn that on? It's, uh, it's, I think the default is host name, but you can switch it to IP. Um, that's been a troubleshooting step that, that some folks have. And, and there's an option within Storefront to set it to use uh, IP as opposed to DNS. But I think the default now, uh, maybe for a while, has been uh, the, the full host name. Okay. I remember that being a best practice. Uh, one of our consultants, Chad Hoffman, used to implement that all the time. And I, I go behind him and notice that and talk to him one day about it. And it sounds like it, that was the best way to As long as you got a functioning DNS that uh, isn't an issue, that, that creates a whole other challenge. Yeah, you might want to uh, swap your audio or something out, Andy. You're getting a little bit um, choppy here. Sorry. Yeah, I, don't, I don't have anything I can do at this point other than stop sharing my screen. I'll do that. Um, how's it now, Bill? About the same. It's uh, try it again. Um, I don't know if you stop your video, but I, I don't have anything else I can do at this point. Okay. Uh, give me one second. Yeah, maybe switch off audio and switch back in. Switch the phone and back into if you can do that. It's the same. It's it's not really choppy. It's more like there's a bug in your throat or something. <laughs> I can I'm still understand stop. you. It's just a little. Uh, there you go. I'm gonna stop sharing the screen. Maybe that'll help. Okay. All right. We're um, we're at uh, step four here called session initialization, uh, and this is when we actually launch the app. So the uh, the Citrus Workspace app on the endpoint. Um, which, by the way, when we get to this point in really after the first section, whether using a browser or using the workspace app, it, it same things happen. 
Uh, in this case, we're talking about using the Workspace app to launch the application. Uh, I think it's um, sometimes great to pause and make sure people understand there's really three ways in general to launch a uh, Citrix hosted app. One is using the Workspace app to communicate and then to launch the ICA file. Uh, the other is to use a browser uh, to make communicate. And then once you click on the icon in the browser, it will launch the uh, Workspace app, aka receiver, uh, and make the session connection. And then there's the you know, HTML5 uh, Workspace app where it actually launches inside the browser itself, an HTML5 browser. Um, and that doesn't require any type of clients. Uh, it's limited in terms of feature capabilities, but it doesn't require any type of clients uh, other than an HTML5 browser. And a lot of that uh, launch information and application-centric stuff happens right inside the browser itself. Uh, but not, not to be confused there, what we're talking about here is the Workspace app. So the Workspace app uh, talks directly uh, to BDA uh, over, by default, uh, 20 port uh, TCP. Uh, well, you know what, let's talk about that because I don't know if that's necessarily true anymore. Uh, it talks to uh, the Workspace app, talks to the VDA over probably UDP uh, 2598 by default, assuming you have uh, adaptive uh, display EDT, uh, inline display transport enabled. Uh, by default, it should be 2598 UDP at this point, right, though? That's right. It, yep, should start with UDP 2598 to enable, uh, uh, it, what is it, enlightened data transport, which you just said. Um, uh, that that's the uh, the UDP based transport that uh, helps uh, helps with um, performance and the user interaction. So I guess there's two things to talk about. It one is UDP by default, so that the uh, the application flow is handled at the application layer, and right. uh, things like audio, video, bidirectional audio really can be uh, kind of smoothed over and even. You know, jumbled up if necessary. Kind of, I think we just had the problem here on this on this conference um, where I was gobbled up, but you would rather me be gobbled up than just totally disappear on you. Uh, that's what Citrix does by default until it starts to recognize that maybe maybe TCP would be the better option uh, in order to give the user a usable experience. So there are two things going on. One is UDP that can fall back to TCP. Ideally, it doesn't. Probably takes up more bandwidth, but we got a lot of bandwidth these days. Uh, and then we're on 2598, which is session reliability, where we're wrapping the protocol into an additional set of packets to make sure the um, to make sure the protocol stays alive over a bad network. You want to you want to talk any further about uh, session reliability and what that does? Yeah, session reliability, which is port 2598 by default, is you know basically this is. Uh, you, you've got a connection uh, going on between the, the endpoint and the and the the VDA. So your application's launched or desktop's launched, and the there's an inter intermittent blip in network connectivity. The most common blip would be moving from one wireless access point to another wireless access point. The screen will go gray, but if the user's typing, it'll cache the keystrokes. Um, and then when this when the session reconnects, it comes right back. So um, it's designed to prevent the session from completely going away. And quite honestly. Uh, really upsetting the user um, because they think they've lost everything, even though it's still sitting on the server. So session reliability mitigates intermittent connectivity issues um, by not removing the session from the user's uh, field of view. So I had this conversation with a client, I think you might have on the call a week ago or so, where they have a uh, network that they don't trust, which is really bad when it's a private you know, internal network. And they, right. want, they wanted to make sure they were using 2598. My guidance to them was, 
if you don't trust that power, don't turn that on or make sure you turn it off. Because if you turn it on, uh, in those cases, you're just mitigating, you're just masking the fact that you have underlying network issues. Right. And all of a sudden, the problem becomes yours and everybody blames you at Citrix because um, sessions are freezing. And really, it's the network drops and Citrix is just doing everything it can to keep it alive so that users don't have to re-authenticate. Yeah, the example that I've always used for this is nurses on on uh, medical carts wheeling them down the hallway in a hospital. Um, you know, in the old days before session reliability, if there was a blip in the wireless network that those things were connected to, um, the session would just go away. Um, and then they'd have to reconnect to the session. Session reliability helped mitigate that by just sending it gray for a couple of seconds while it, it converged on a new access point. Um, probably not as critical today. And usually if you see a lot of that, you're right. You've got network problems that are underlying it and you need to address those first. Yeah, it used to be that Citrix was one of the only applications on the network that required real-time delivery and everything else was kind of send and wait. <clears throat> but now, um, now lots of applications are that way. So I have a quick story. I had a, a county government that had a bad Citrix implementation. They blamed Citrix for everything. Uh, turns out they had a bad network. And when, when they redid their intranet, they recognized that and fixed their internet, I mean, their intranet, their, their network. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, all the Citrix problems went away. Uh, <laughs> they still blame Citrix for being a bad product. And truthfully, their network, they just wouldn't own up to it. Uh, and it, it, to this day, they have yet to implement Citrix the way they should have. I have a question for you. What's the difference? And if you don't know, it's fine. Uh, you, have, um, you have session reliability. And then what is ICA keep alive? What's the differences between those two? Or are they part of the same thing? Uh, I'll probably get this wrong, but they are not the same thing. Uh, ICA keep alive, I believe, is how long the session would in a, in a, they're they're mutually exclusive, I believe. So if you turn session reliability on, ICA keep alive, even if it's on, doesn't really enter into the picture. At least I believe that's the case. If you turn session reliability off and ICA Keep Alive's on, which I think are on by default, um, ICA Keep Alive, I believe, is the amount of time that it keeps that session active uh, before it goes into a disconnected state uh, on, the se- on the server in the event of a disconnect. Okay. Yeah, I've always struggled with that one, didn't understand it. Maybe somebody who's listening can, can um, send us a message and uh, let us know. Yeah. All right, when I live off, okay, um, contacts, uh, the VDA notifies the delivery controller, delivery controller contacts the light. I know I didn't get this part. The VDA notifies uh, the delivery controller of the connection setup, um, and then the delivery controller contacts the licensor, first time we talk about licensing, uh, to check out the license on behalf of the user uh, or device. Uh, at that moment, which gets really important when we start talking about uh, concurrent licensing versus user device licensing. Uh, the next step here, delivery controller commits session connection information to the site database. So now it's in the metadata, and then the user interacts with the app or desktop over TCP, UDP, so UDP uh, 2598 by default. And then they're happily working away until they either decide to disconnect, log off, or you know something happens different. Exactly. Yep. That's all right. So a little bit extra stuff. I actually didn't get into this part prior to this, but uh, um, so additional resources problems may occur during the following processes: authentication. Uh, user cannot log in. Check their AD credentials. Cannot. Uh, enumeration. If you see uh, no apps, it probably means that you authenticated fine. You just don't have the right associations. 
Um, users not been assigned any resources, storefront access to the DDC was unavailable. Uh, DDC has a problem communicating all of that stuff. You can go look on the uh, event logs. And I think it's the application event logs within Windows and, and find uh, information pointing to uh, an issue with the uh, storefront not being able to talk to the delivery controller. Yeah, you can look in the event log under, like you said, under the app log, but there's also a delivery services log under um, uh, other or additional app logs that you can look in that'll give you details on storefronts uh, involvement with the delivery controllers as well as other parts of the infrastructure. I mean, that's always driven me nuts that some applications will put stuff in the Windows default application log and then some will have their own generated uh, set of event logs. Um, I guess this is how the world works. You pick and choose. Okay, uh, resource uh, launch process, no ICA file downloaded, or like we talked about, you know, pull the thing apart with a uh, text editor and figure out what's in there. Uh, session initialization, um, we've had lots of scenarios there where more than likely the first thing I check is one or two things. Um, does the machine delivery group or the app or desktop uh, associated catalog have um, available resources registered and waiting? Uh, not, not, not uncommon to go look in there and see a bunch of machines piling up and not registered, and then, and then you're off to the next step to figure out why they're not registered and, and ready to wait. I actually had that problem this morning in my lab. Um, DNS issue, typically. DNS. Not always. I said it was normally a DNS issue, but not always. Not always, yeah, a lot of DNS issues. There, um, there's a product from Citrix, I assume it's still available, called um, XDP, XDP, which you can learn that, I guess, on the VDA, and then I'll tell you, you know, why it can't get there. And also another good idea, looking, I think, the application log on the controller and the VDA, and one will be talking bad about the other, or they'll both be talking bad about each other. Yeah. <laughs> well, that so I, I hope this was helpful to people. I honestly, it helped me to walk back through it and learn it. And you know, every client I engage on the customer success side of things, I really just need to make sure they totally understand this because you can't troubleshoot this stuff if you don't know what happens step by step. That's right. Absolutely. It's a critical to being able to troubleshoot is to understand what's happening in each phase. Helps you isolate where it might be, where it might be breaking. I forget what it was. Somebody with my kids and, oh, my youngest son were doing a math problem the other day and, and he wrote down the problem wrong. And I was like, look, son, I mean, you can, you, chances are if you did something silly along the way, which is where the problem lies, um, you know, as human beings, we're all guilty of overthinking things okay. right out the gate, and more often than not, it's something simple, way more often than not. I mean, the way I met a sales guy one time that he used to joke around some of the clients that couldn't get Citrix implemented or couldn't use it properly or wouldn't, wouldn't get it uh, to the place where they wanted it, he used to joke that they must have got the bad code, and the truth is everybody gets the same code if it doesn't work. <laughs> It shouldn't work for anybody. Uh, if it doesn't work for you, then you know, start looking at the basics and figuring out where it's, you know, what the anomaly is, probably on your side, not the software. Typically, yep. There are the rare occasions where there truly are bugs, and there are the rare occasions where somebody doesn't implement something correctly that was a paid professional. But look, there's a lot of decision trees in these projects. Uh, I like to uh, jokingly say I could go implement, I could implement a product project the best I could today, I could come back two weeks later and look at it and be like, oh, what the heck, why did I do that? Well, what's that for? Whose decision was this? This doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Seen that too, yeah. It's when you get the guys who already know it all. Those are the ones you got to be scared of. 
<laughs> That's right. All right, so anything else uh, you'd like to cover before we, uh, before we adjourn for the session? No, I think we've covered it all pretty well. A little unique. We'll go back to our regular you know, blog type thing here in the coming weeks, but we'll, we'll jump out and get kind of techy every once in a while and you know keep it interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a great thing to do, and uh, it helps us as much as it helps our listeners. It does, and it helps remind. And we should probably do this on you know Citrus Cloud and take some basic use case because that that evolves and that that could be very different depending on the implementation. Yeah. That's, that's one that uh, you almost need to be in front of a whiteboard to make sure you can, people are getting in, but certainly something that maybe hosts to do at a later date. Exactly. Yeah, I think that would be very helpful. All right, Bill. Well, thanks for the time, and uh, we'll see you again next week. All right, Andy. Thank you for listening to The Citrix Session with your hosts, Andy Whiteside and Bill Sutton. A special thanks to our guest for attending today's podcast. Podcast produced by Pete Downing. For any input or if you'd like to be a part of our podcast, please email us at info at Zentegra.com. Please head over to Zentegra.com forward slash podcast to listen to all podcasts in this series. This podcast is copyrighted by Zentegra LLC. Thank you.